Hi, I'm Jason Nias, along with Natalie Wires from Digital River, an e-commerce and payments company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our time. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started and lessons they've learned that have gotten them where they are today and what they believe is the future of online shopping. Hi, this is Jason Nias, and our guest today is an e-commerce revolutionary for one of the most iconic companies in the technology landscape. It's Dell Technologies. As the VP of e-commerce and technology at Dell, Harsh Acharya sets the vision and strategy for the company that went from a scrappy startup to a multinational powerhouse. Harsh and his team are now reimagining the e-commerce buyer experience for B2B customers in a way that will likely raise the bar again for B2B companies everywhere. Welcome, Harsh. Glad to be here, Jason. Well, let's start off by learning a little bit more about you. So um, your schooling took you from India to College Station, Texas at Texas A&M, which led you to a number of opportunities. Can you walk us through a little bit of your bio and your journey to uh, where you are today? Absolutely. Um, Like you said, I moved here from India to my master's at uh, Texas A&M College Station. And uh, when I was graduating, I really didn't know, you know, where I was going to be headed. I had a couple of opportunities with uh, consulting companies and uh, uh, and then, you know, I had Dell and uh, really what intrigued me and, and uh, you know, attracted me to Dell was really the people uh, I talked to during my interviews uh, on campus. And to this date, uh, that's been really the, the, the greatest thing uh, that has kept me here for, for such a long time. I started there as a software engineer, uh, managing a lot of our backend uh, product data systems. Uh, I traveled around the world during that time. We were globalizing our applications uh, to come up with a common global uh, framework uh, that allowed me to travel around the world. I spent time in Tokyo, uh, in Dublin, in Ireland, uh, in Penang, in Malaysia, and really was able to get a vast cultural experience uh, as well as the business experience. And then when I came back and got married, um, I wanted to stop traveling as much as I did. And uh, that uh, led me to uh, e-commerce. You know, I was introduced to uh, those e-commerce uh, leaders when I was traveling around the world. And, and I, it really intrigued me because uh, it was a real chance to go out and make an impact to something that is the, the face of the company. And, and I started my career in product management for e-commerce with uh, a small portion of the website back then. Uh, we called it uh, electronics and accessories experience. We also call it software and peripherals. And, and from there, I went on to managing uh, many different products, B2B and B2C, uh, shopping, checkout, personalization, uh, Black Friday, and, and eventually uh, went to lead that uh, product management team and, and eventually engineering and, and SRE. And, and really, um, I saw during that time uh, not just you know great people over and over again, but also uh, multiple different tra- transformations that uh, we'll talk about through the course of this uh, this conversation. But uh, but yeah, really great ride and great time, and and have been learning a lot both from uh, my mistakes and my accomplishments. Great intro, thank you for that. You know, obviously for our listeners, they know who Dell is, um, but you guys were a lot of people say you guys created D 2 C. Frankly. Um, when you guys were, you guys 
basically broke the mold and sold completely differently in the early 90s and the early days of the internet. Um, when did you join Dell? And can you talk a little bit about all the scope of change that's happened since you've been there? Yeah. Um, so I joined Dell in 2008. So it's been close to 13 and a half years now. And I joined the e-commerce organization in, in 2010. So it's still you know, close to close to 11 years. So pretty long time. And um, it's it's been a very interesting journey. Like you say, Dell has been a pioneer in uh, direct-to-consumer model, one of the earliest e-commerce-enabled companies in the world. And when I joined in 2008, we were already doing multi-billion-dollar business via our B2B and B2C channels. Uh, the evolution from that point was extremely demanding, but very rewarding at the same time. I'll, I'll kind of break it down into three things. Uh, and for us, uh, you know, it was first, you know, we were the PC and infrastructure business, uh, and that business model was constantly evolving. Uh, you know, we were going from being uh, just-in-time configured, configured to order company to being able to stock it. Uh, we decided to go into retail. On the infrastructure side, we, we continuously acquired many different companies and started offering more than just servers. Uh, and what it meant for us is that we had to make our platform grow with the company. And so Dell.com, for example, used to be a a huge monolith, which made sense. You know, it allowed us to do what we had to do uh, pre-2008. So we went on and, and uh, made it a microservice-based, uh, uh, you know, smaller applications and and more uh, more of a nimble and, and, uh, and agile platform that we did not have in the past. Second thing we had to go after was while we were, uh, you know, breaking down the monolith, the world was changing in 2010, as you recall, the social and mobile wave started coming to us. and. Uh, like, hey, not only we have to uh, break down our monoliths and uh, make our applications modern and service-oriented, we also have to uh, ensure that we can we can react to what's happening in the market. Um, and so we started working on uh, responsive design and uh, and ensuring that you know we can have a, a great social integration and we can be where our customers are. And then last but not the least, uh, it really the the entire aspect of the of the business where we were going into emerging markets, new payment types, um, new ways of serving our customers in a, as a service model or subscription model. Uh, and we also had to kind of go after that. So really we had to break our problems down into, into modernization of applications, keeping up with the market and also um, embracing new business models. And, and it's, been, it's been again quite a journey and we still have a lot of great work to do in front of us. Yeah, well, your, your background is perfect for what the journey you've been on. I mean, uh, the intersection of e-commerce and the hyper growth and change it was going through, but at the same time being a product discipline person to be able to kind of spot the trends and give the customers what they want. Um, did you kind of always have those pieces and this is just the perfect place in your career or have you kind of developed them at Dell? That's a great question, right? Um, I, I came from, you know, very heavy product background and, and, you know, that was my forte because that's what I did for the first six, seven years uh, in e-commerce. Uh, but by education and by trade, I was also a software engineer. Uh, what I would say we, were, we had to go through was um, we, had, we had a fantastic product management practice uh, over the past, you know, six years that we had, we had built out. Uh, and we had a fantastic engineering discipline. I think where we were really able to change the game to move faster and, and make an impact is when we 
figured out that we really have to make our engineering and product organizations share their goals. Um, when I took over engineering, we realized that our product management organization was extremely focused on customer satisfaction, uh, conversion, revenue per visit, which was fantastic. And our engineering teams were focused on security, availability, stability, which was great. Uh, but it also meant that, you know, sometimes their, their goals did not match and uh, that can lead to, you know, uh, some, some uh, difficult decisions and conversations that are not always productive. And uh, I was able to go and align them, not just between those two organizations, but also with our fantastic, uh, you know, general managers and business partners uh, and, and kind of made um, engineering practices an imperative uh, uh, a part of the business versus an afterthought. And I think, I think that's what it took for us to really uh, nail uh, engineering and product coming together and, and being in the same organization. So. I, uh, I'm very intrigued by that. Can I go a little deeper? Can you, can you explain yeah. how, so, so engineering and product, getting them to, to sing off the same sheet of music is really powerful. Did it go beyond that? Did you get into the revenue teams, the marketing teams, the customer experience teams? And make sure that everybody's kind of centered around growth and delighting the customer. Like, can you can you take me a little deeper? Yeah, yeah, we can talk about it. So, uh, when I took over engineering for the first time, um, I realized that there was some you know brewing um, you know issues the engineering teams were uh, you know dealing with, and and they knew how to solve them. But as you can imagine, in any large company, when you want to replatform something, rebuild something. Uh, you have to. You want to remove tech that it costs money and time, and and it always gets compared with you know what it means for the for the business and what we need to go deliver. Uh, I had learned from our past experiences uh, from you know 2010 2011 that just going and getting buy-in from the business on uh, replatforming the whole thing and taking three four years for that is no longer an option not at least in, in, in this decade, right? It might have been okay uh, 10 years ago when, when market was not changing that fast. So what we did differently to help the product and engineering teams out was to go and get buy-in from our stakeholders that we need to continuously modernize our platform. We need to continuously uh, break it down further, uh, move it to more you know modern DevOps practices and SRE practices, but Instead of doing what we did, you know, 10 years ago uh, and boiling the ocean, we said we are going to do it in smaller chunks. So instead of rewriting entire Dell.com over the period of few years, we'll say, we said, hey, we are only going to take homepage. And we're going to take homepage and turn it into its own micro app. Uh, and instead of just setting, you know, a goal around um, replatforming it, we are going to tie actual business goals around it. So page speed, uh, organic search traffic getting better or conversion getting better. And we are gonna ensure that we are not only uh, you know, modernizing the application, we are gonna hit those business goals. And that resonated with uh, the stakeholders. And even after getting their buy-in based, uh, based on those commitments, we decided to take it small. So we just took the homepage, we proved it out uh, to them uh, and to our teams that we can do things in a modern way. We did that with our configurator and then once we earned the credibility and earned the trust, then we said, okay, now let's go and, and do it you know, across our entire end-to-end -end, uh, journey and then eventually our B2B experience. So it was, it was, you know, it was a process and, uh, and, and we knew you know, from our past experiences what some of the 
the gotchas or hot buttons would be with uh, with the stakeholders, and we had to go and tackle them upfront. Good idea, getting buy-in. Um, you talked a little bit about some of the when you when you first took over the role in in uh, product and in e-commerce, how there were some big waves. You know, early on it was D 2 C, then it was social and mobile. Um, obviously, I think right now we're in the in the world around globalization and local payment methods, which you referenced. Uh, in your eyes, what's what's next? Is it is it Bitcoin? Is it high? Um, is it uh, excuse me, HPC or high performance computing? Is it AI? Where are you guys taking this thing next? Obviously, don't share any trade secrets, but uh, generic. It's funny you, you. It's funny you brought up Bitcoin. I was I was the product manager for Card and Checkout um, back in twenty thirteen when we actually became the largest e commerce company in the in the world to uh, to launch Bitcoin as a payment option. Uh, we no longer have it on the site, but but uh, it was a fantastic experience leading it and, and launching it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but where I see uh, e-commerce going as we as we move forward is uh, I see I see three things. Uh, one is um, the B two C experience, uh, especially post COVID. We saw that we we all saw, and you know it was all unexpected that the move from you know, uh, retail to e-commerce and online just, you know, quadrupled overnight. You know, the the growth that we might have seen uh, by, you know, 2025, we saw it in just in, in less than 12 months. That said, we do hear from customers, especially for high average order value purchases, that they would like to and they would love to uh, at least, you know, see and feel the products like they do in retail. And so, when I look at what's happening uh, in the in the gaming industry with uh, with the likes of Oculus um, and uh, and the, some of the experiments that we have done, you can check out our AR experience uh, that we have launched uh, on our mobile devices, uh, on our mobile mobile experiences for uh, Dell.com. Um, from a B2C standpoint, I think there is a major opportunity uh, from a from a VR standpoint where you can actually go and and play and learn and experience this uh, these devices. Uh, like you are in a in a, in a store, and, and there is a lot of work to do, both from a uh, from a graphics and and design and experience standpoint across the industry. Um, uh, but I, I see that as being uh, a pretty interesting um, space, especially as the uh, next generation of um, consumers um, you know, start shopping and buying and spending their money uh, beyond just you know uh, playing games. I think that'll be pretty big for B two C. On the B two B side. Uh, I, we have already started seeing the change where the expectations of B2B customers are the same uh, as that of consumers, right? Uh, if I remember, you know, eight, nine years ago, our B2B customers were mainly, you know, folks in procurement who would be okay with uh, an okay experience, right? They did not expect a mobile-friendly experience. They simply wanted to go and just keep purchasing what they always purchase. Uh, but now when we talk to um, those B2B customers, uh, driven by both the fact that um, they, there are now you know, millennials and Gen Zs in, in, in B2B roles, but also just getting used to easy to use experiences as a consumer, uh, they now expect as much ease of use and, and, um, and simply simplicity in what they do. And so I expect the B2B experiences and customer expectations to uh, be more and more consumer-like. Uh, and then last but not the least, um, I expect the ecosystems uh, around B2B business uh, 
to continuously, uh, you know, converge. So, you know, back in the days, you used to have systems that are focused on, um, you know, people processes like PeopleSoft. You had systems like SAP, Ariba, and Coupa that still are, you know, pretty large and they are really focused on, on ERP. And then you have, uh, you had, you know, uh, experiences uh, that were that were uh, really focused on IT operations. And what we are seeing is those things are converging. If you look at, you know, the companies like Workday, they are now trying to solve for all those things in, in, a, in a SaaS model. ServiceNav is another great example. Um, and as we think about the B2B customers' expectations uh, beyond just consumer-like experiences, they would expect a very seamless integration with a number of different, um, you know, SaaS and, and on-prem products that that really bring financials, people, operations into one spot while being able to integrate with the likes of likes of Dell, and we have to make sure that we can step up to that challenge. Right on. The uh, I love the B two B is the next big wave kind of comment, and you talked about you know ecosystems being really really important at that success. Um, when you guys put a focus on B two B. How do you think about, I mean, it's, it's, for all, it's forever been the huge opportunity that every e-commerce business has their eyes on, but it's so big, so complicated, so bifurcated that for the most part, a lot of companies just kind of stop trying. So how do you take something like B2B and break it into, uh, my words, underserved customer segments that you're going to use e-commerce to help go address? Is it by segment, meaning like education or government, you give them a different experience. Is it based on size and you're just going to give them an automated self-service channel? Help help unpack some of your uh, thought organization as it relates to really unlocking B2B. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, great question. Um, we, of course, look at the size of the organization and we do find synergies in, you know, companies that are of you know, there are small businesses versus medium businesses versus enterprise customers. And, uh, and, and we are extremely human-centric design-driven. So when we try to understand what those customers need solved for when doing business with Dell, uh, we spend a lot of time interviewing them. We spend a lot of time listening to them. And, and we do find, you know, common elements in these three segments, small business, medium business, enterprise. But to your point, um, what we also find is that their needs vary, uh, not just based on their size, but also based on their own history and their own digital transformation. And the patterns that my teams have been able to find is really, they fall into, into three buckets. Uh, enterprise customers who, are, who actually started their businesses in the modern internet era. And they, are, they were already API first, they were already you know, on, on SaaS platforms on their side and they can move fast. Then there are enterprise companies who, uh, who were not really you know, in tech business or were not tech savvy. Uh, and they are right now trying to figure their way out as to what digital transformation means for them. We see a large chunk of those customers uh, trying to learn from us as to what we do are still being on some of the legacy, you know, EDI-like platforms, but they are already curious now to understand where to go from here. And the third uh, kind of enterprises are, are the ones that, were, that, that started before the internet era. However, they were technically savvy enough, and not only because they were a tech company, 
but also because of kind of the leadership kind of leadership that they brought in from outside or or just the culture of the company that they are already ahead in the of, in the game from a transformation standpoint um and we work with work with those companies and and what we do is we 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 have a program called uh, early adopter program and we sign them up as early adopters and then we can actually use their examples with uh, with you know other customers who are kind of behind in the curve and and help them uh, help them you know uh, modernize and and get to the next stage in their b2b procurement journey so yeah that's how we kind of you know break it down small business medium business enterprise and within enterprise uh, you know digitally extremely uh, modern uh, you know digitally uh, transforming student the process and and the ones who have already transformed I really enjoy how 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 really smart people think about breaking down the problem into kind of discrete actionable categories. And if I heard you right, I'm going to again put it in my words. You've got yeah. born in the cloud all the way kind of leading the way that the world works. You've got kind of legacy businesses that need to digitally transform and then you've got this comp- this group in the middle, this modern company which kind of pulls the legacy along. Is that how you That's right. break it down? That's exactly right. And, yeah. and it is awesome, right? And and in this in this process, we actually learn from so many of these companies ourselves, and they surprise us at times. And we actually, you know, uh, we are very humble that way. And and when we see some companies doing something really great, and they are our customers, we take those processes and practices back to our teams and like, hey, we just saw this, you know, large gaming company running uh, X Y Z process this way. We should you know replicate it uh, in our organization. So you know, we we keep it a two way street. Yep. Well, you guys, you guys kind of are that modern company, right? The, the, the early to tech, but early to change, early to advance, you know, so that's kind of you. So that makes a lot of sense. Can you talk a little bit about, um, so you've now identified these segments, enterprise, mid-market, et cetera, and then these kind of profiles of different types of companies. How do you plan, strategize, build roadmaps, service those different groups? Can you talk a little bit about your mindset, not specifics, but on some of the processes you go through to make sure that you serve those appropriately? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, about five, six years ago, uh, when we were changing the way we, we went about building our roadmaps, we went from a project-driven culture to, to OKR-driven culture, objectives and key results. And uh, we would set up, you know, OKRs between business and our product teams um, on an annual basis. Um, and we started experimenting, you know, with a few products to give our teams uh, liberty to figure out how. So we would tell them what, right? So I'll just use an example. Take our homepage team, uh, and we would set OKRs that would talk about, um, you know, reducing bounce rate from the page, or uh, increasing, you know, forward conversion, or increasing organic traffic. And we would negotiate, uh, you know, that those numbers with them. And we would let them figure out how. Um, and then there would be some cross-functional initiatives that require more than just one product team. And for those, uh, we would really you know, manage it at cross-product level and say, hey, look, you have to go after your product OKRs, but you also have to participate in this cross-functional initiative. And, and you know, I'm just making it up. It could be things like buy online pickup in store. right? That, is, that takes more than just one product team to, to support it. Um, we have slowly matured that process. Uh, we tried it out a few years ago on a few products. Uh, we saw some things working really well. We saw some other things not working well, especially when it came to you know 
competing priorities across regions. We do business in you know 130 plus countries and and 28 languages, and and you have constantly changing uh, changing you know requirements. The market keeps changing. Where we are now in this process is we have matured from uh, what we used to call OKR objectives and curiosity model to what we now call OGSM driven model. Uh, with OKRs, your objectives and key results, uh, with OGSM as the organizations got la- organization got larger, uh, we have objectives, goals, strategies, and measurement. And what it does is that as we get the cascade all the way up from you know, um, uh, Michael Dell down to uh, you know, my organization, which is still about you know, 800, 900 people, uh, we want to make sure that you know I'm able to set objectives and goals for at, at my level, and at the same time, uh, those strategies that I define can become goals at the next level, and we cascade them. And it does two things: one, it gives uh, a highest level of clarity to our, to our product teams, uh, but also everyone on the ground can map it back to the highest level objectives, and and that's how we operate now. Um, we have now expanded it to all of our products and. And it did take us about two, two and a half years to get there and, and work it out with our stakeholders. And we have to improve the process uh, through, that, through that period to ensure that it really sticks. Dang it. We just went from OMBOs to OKRs and now we got to learn a new thing, OGSM. There you go. <laughs> hey, we have to keep, keep reinventing it. Yeah. That's, well, that's, uh, that's iterative, iterative improvements. Well, that's until you get it right. You got to keep messing with it. So is, is it really, is OGSM, uh, objectives, goals, strategies, measures. Is that pervasive all the way through Dell? It doesn't matter what function you're in, you're going to have OGSMs? So within Dell Digital, which is the IT organization uh, of Dell, um, it is, we have been growing uh, the OGSM driven culture through the organization as of this year, yeah. Uh, entire Dell Digital, you know, sets, sets OGSM and it comes all the way up from our a chief digital officer down to uh, individual teams and uh, and something we are constantly learning from and improving as we go. But yeah, it's very pervasive at this point. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Now I have some homework to do after this call. Uh, you've been there obviously 13 some odd years. You were there when uh, there was a massive technology merger with ER, uh, excuse me, EMC. Um, how did that merger change Dell? And uh, give us the scope of, of how big and large and what, how diverse Dell is today? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, acquisition of EMC uh, by Dell was one of the largest in the tech industry, as, as you know. And, and we already had an amazing footing in PCs, servers, and, and displays business. By the way, many people don't know this, but we are number one in commercial display market. Uh, and, um, and, and, but I digress, uh, EMC acquisition uh, really allowed us to be a truly end-to-end provider of essential infrastructure. And it closed the gap from a storage and offering, uh, storage offering standpoint uh, that existed before. But on top of that, the subsidiaries that came along with EMC, RSA, SecureWorks, uh, Pivotal, uh, the stake that EMC had in VMware, that has truly allowed us to go to market with uh, end-to-end solutions for our customers. And as you can imagine, uh, customers love it when there is one-stop shop and, and single-threaded accountability. Uh, and, and beyond the business, when we acquired EMC and we you know, merged our technology and, and processes and cultures, uh, I also saw some really great complementary uh, trades that Dell and EMC had that we were able to 
we were able to learn from and uh, from each other on. Um, for an example, you know, Bell was excellent at operational uh, and execution discipline, uh, and Pivotal and VMware were great at human-centric design to an approach uh, for building software. And and uh, our transformation when it came to digital transformation started with uh, Pivotal and 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 VMware helping us uh, learn how they went about building software. At the same time, uh, we were teaching them, you know, how to go about uh, executing a very complex uh, business that crosses uh, hundreds of countries and and very uh, complex sort of customer base that are buying both hardware and software. So it was it was a really 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 great manage. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about how the pandemic accelerated e-commerce revenues, your direct consumer revenues, um, by a few years. Um, and I think that's that's pretty obvious for most companies who are selling online that, that, that benefit them. But are there other implications to your business besides the e-commerce impact in terms of like how you work, how you present, how you, how you meet, those sort of things? Can you unpack kind of a day in the life of Dell now as opposed to what it used to be like? Yeah. Look, pre-COVID, uh, if you would have asked me whether we can just be remote 100% of the time and still uh, be as productive and get things done, I would have said, are you kidding me? Um, our teams truly adapted. Um, I remember I flew back from Sydney uh, in March of 2020, and um, I came back and someone told me, hey, we are not going to go back to the office for the next 10 days. I'm like, okay, well... Uh, that sounds crazy, but yeah, we can we can we can live with it. And here we are, uh, you know, close to close to a year and a half, uh, if not more. Um, the team really adapted. It started with uh, our uh, our amazing team member experience organization, um, which which enables our technical infrastructure for our our employees and team members. Um, very stable and great VPN. Everyone had displays. We, were, we figured out how to get you know, chairs and tables and home office set up for people. Uh, and honestly, we were so prepared from our TMX, team member experience standpoint, that, that we never felt like you know, we had any technical challenges. We had the Zoom set up, we had Microsoft Teams, so that was, that was just great. It worked really well. Um, we already were very global in terms of our footprint. You know, my own teams are in, in six or seven different countries. And so we were always used to working uh, over the phone. We had to get used to uh, not having whiteboards for in-person, you know, uh, brainstorming sessions. But again, teams adapted. Our design team actually stepped up. Uh, they were used to using things like Miro board um, that uh, that they kind of, you know, got all of us used to. And while we can't do that, um, you know, we can't do whiteboarding in a traditional sense that we used to in the past. I see my teams getting together and. The way they prioritize things, that they they use virtual boards, and uh, it seemed like you know uh, they knew exactly how how to operate, and, and they just uh, they just uh, had not done that before. So all in all, uh, look, it it was uh, it was a huge change, uh, but the silver lining is that one, it has given us equal ground. Uh, we used to have some people in the room, some people on the phone from overseas, and and um, you know it's unconscious, you don't realize, but. But you know, not everyone can get a word in when some people are in the room and some people are in the uh, on the phone. Uh, and we saw that changing. We, we we now you know see everyone jumping in, providing their their point of view, and and uh, it has you know cut down on commute in some of the countries that we are that we are located. Uh, it used to take people two hours 
to commute one way. And uh, now they don't have to do that, tie back, you know, uh, for business or for their work-life balance. And and so all in all, uh, it was a difficult journey, but uh, we were very fortunate to have all the resources to our hands to to adapt to it. And, and now, you know, uh, I feel like we are uh, as productive as we were before, if, if not more. Yep. I can, I can see that. I really like the point you made earlier around, you know, the more global or the more dispersed your employee base are, this actually has become a great equalizer. Um, it, it puts everybody on the level playing field to contribute and be engaged. Whereas before it was a massive unfair advantage for those on the phone. So I, I really liked your point. And I, I see that in our business as well. You know, I, this is, um, this is related to DR, but not necessarily Dell. We had a meeting, um, about two or three weeks ago in person, the first one in a very long time. And we looked around the room and 50%, actually 51% of my entire organization is new since COVID. Has that also been a, an impact at Dell? Are you guys hiring like crazy and having to kind of train people virtually versus immerse them in Austin, Texas on your brand? That is a, that is a really good point. And that's something that's always in the back of my mind. So yes, we have been hiring across the globe in many different countries. Uh, and and we are uh, consciously looking at uh, how they come in and and adapt and and they ramp up. Um, we we knew that it was going to be a problem when you bring in you know brand new of people who have never met other people in in person. Uh, we have done a couple of different things on the on the work front. Our teams have created uh, virtual boot camps and uh, and confluence pages where. They can easily ramp up. Uh, we have a buddy system, so we buddy you up with someone else who can help you through that journey. But we also realize there is a human side of it. There is a personal side of it that also needs to be solved for. And uh, what my my leadership team and I have started doing in the past uh, six to eight months for this new folks is um, we do a number of brown bag sessions with leadership team for them, right? Because Majority of the times for this new folks, it's not just about learning how Dell works and learning how the code works and product works, but also uh, the the larger context. And and we truly believe in leading with context. We 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 believe that people figure out what they need to do and what's the right thing to do based on their goals, but but they need to know the larger context. And once they understand it, they can they can be autonomous. And so we spend a lot of time uh, as a leadership team do brown bags with them. I do quarterly uh, welcome, you know, AMA, ask me anything with, uh, with uh, people who join our team uh, on a quarterly basis. Uh, and then, you know, we have created a culture where um, anyone can ping anyone and ask any questions they might have. Is it perfect? No, I would, I would love to get to a point which is a little more hybrid where people can go into the office a couple of times a week uh, or a couple of times a month. Uh, people who have been, you know, who are, who are new to the company or the organization can, can come in, spend some time with people who have been here long enough. Uh, but in lieu of that, I think uh, we have been we have been able to balance it out with uh, the combination of both informal and formal practices. Yep. Yeah, the role of the building is going to change fundamentally. It used to be where everybody gathered. Now it's where we collaborate versus just sit and do our job. So I really, I really, uh, I'm touching and feeling what you're talking about right now in our lives as well. Um, well, let's transition to a few of our kind of final questions. This is a little bit more rapid fire. Uh, just a few things to try and kind of get in your mind a little bit. Uh, the first is um, you're a very accomplished e-commerce and technology person. Who influences you? 
Um, many people have influenced me uh, to make me who I am from my parents who constantly supported me uh, through my journey when I moved here from, from India, as well as my bosses and mentors. But the, in the most recent times, uh, Brian Chesky is someone who I really look up to uh, as an inspiration, um, the CEO of um, Airbnb. And, and, and that's because not so long after becoming a leader, I came to realize that culture of the organization is everything, right? Uh, your problems keep changing and they will come and go. The, the culture culture stays for a long time. And, and what Brian has done at uh, Airbnb to create a culture uh, of the company that allows for creativity, independence, and shared mission is um, something, really, something I'm really inspired by. And I try to replicate it with my team uh, one step at a time. I like that. Everybody likes to be inspired by fun things, and Airbnb is certainly a company that helps you think of fun things to go do. Um, okay, that's great. And uh, how about you share with us an e-commerce experience that you've had recently that really stands out and was particularly good for one reason or another? And you can't use Dell, and I also don't, I wouldn't recommend using Amazon. It's a little overplayed. You mean I can't say Dell.com? Well, can't uh, say Dell.com. Uh, no, we know you love that. Uh, you know, one experience uh, that I used most recently, I was, uh, I went to BMW's website and uh, I started building my own car. I haven't bought it yet, but uh, I, was, I was just playing with it. Uh, let me just give you a quick backdrop. I have a lot of empathy for companies that have to do configure to order, right? It is a, it is a very complex problem. It seems like an easy one to solve for, uh, but the number of validations, the things that you need to make sure, you know, don't break. And I, what I saw that BMW has done with building your own car is just amazing. Uh, the combination of visually showing people what they're doing while building the car, uh, helping them understand what goes with what. And when someone makes a mistake of picking something that does not go with another, uh, another uh, part in the, in the chassis, they do an amazing job at telling you, hey, those two things won't go with each other and we are going to you know, we are going to change them out for you. And this is the impact on the price. And, and I feel like um, when it comes to configure to order, it's, it's for the companies uh, that has really done a great job uh, improving the experience for customers. So if you haven't checked it out, I, I highly recommend checking it out. It's, uh, it's a great experience uh, in, in building your own car. That's fantastic. Well, that's high praise coming from someone at Dell. Uh, you guys are one of the original CPQ companies with the uh, kind of made-to-order PCs. You guys were the, really the first in the industry, to my knowledge, to do that. So I like the uh, example. Uh, two final questions. Um, we love to get recommendations from folks on who um, they listen to in terms of podcasts. Are you an avid podcast listener? And if so, uh, what's on your device right now? Uh, my go-to uh, right now and for the past, uh, you know, uh, year or so is uh, Adam Grant's Work-Life Podcast. It is just amazing. You know, I, I in general, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Adam Grant's uh, work and his, his, his books, uh, but his podcasts are amazing. Uh, just putting science behind how to not make your work suck is just just you know uh, amazing to hear and and you can definitely get inspired by that uh from a product management standpoint i i i subscribe to marty kagan's uh, blogs um uh, his books of course you know uh, with all of my uh, product managers and engineering leaders uh, uh, and then i also you know reading elon musk's crypto tweets uh, especially his uh, comment sections uh, but we can talk about it over a drink someday 
I can tell there's a little bit of crypto fandom in your, in your, in your answer there. Um, okay, well, lastly, that's been, that's been excellent. Thank you, Harsh, for, for joining me today. Uh, the last question is, it sounds like you guys are hiring like crazy, growing like a weed. If people want to get in touch with you about questions about Dell or anything else, what do you recommend? Are you active on Twitter, LinkedIn? I'm active on both LinkedIn and Twitter, but LinkedIn is the easiest way to reach out to me. Um, you can you can message me, and I'm always open to learning from each other and, and, and sharing knowledge. Fantastic. Well, Harsh, thank you very much for being so generous with your time today. I certainly learned a lot, and uh, thanks a lot. No, thank you again for having me here. You've been listening to the Commerce Connect podcast, brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.